Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, everybody. I have great pleasure in introducing the inaugural uh, F. Jean Braun and Ellen Braun lecture in mitral valve disease. Uh, we we're very honored today to have Ellen Braun here. Uh, Dr. Braun was, Dr. Jean Braun was a patient of mine who uh, had mitral valve disease and we were very honored to be able to uh, impact his care here uh, with surgery. When uh, Jean passed a number of years ago, we had discussions with Alan about how we would honor his memory. Jean was an ophthalmologist, very innovative, uh, incredibly effective ophthalmologist in Dallas and uh, Alan wanted something medical in his memory. And we've come up with a number of ideas, one of which is this inaugural lecture. Uh, Alan and Jean Zestage have very kindly uh, honored his memory uh, by providing funding for a fellow in cardiovascular imaging. I'm delighted to say we have Chris Anthony, who's the inaugural uh, Alan and Jean Braun fellow who's going to present today's. It's a privilege to present a clinical case at the F. Jean Braun Grand Tool Rounds this morning. The clinical case is entitled, Does a Stitch or a Clip in Time Save Nine? The goal of this presentation is to set the scene for the ensuing discussion on advanced technologies and the multidisciplinary approach to mitral valve disease. So present a case of a 72-year-old female with increasing shortness of breath on exertion and a decline in functional capacity over a period of four months. Her shortness of breath was associated with exertional chest discomfort, and these symptoms prompted a presentation to her local emergency department and a review by her local cardiologist. Her past medical history was remarkable for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, atrial fibrillation, hypertension, hypothyroidism, and heterotaxy syndrome with polysplenia. Her medications were digoxin, diltiazem, and apixaban for her atrial fibrillation, she was euthyroid on her daily dose of thyroxine, and she was compliant with all her medications. Biochemical parameters were normal across the board, with preserved hematopoietic, renal, and liver function. Her EKG was remarkable for atrial fibrillation with controlled ventricular response, normal cardiac axis, with no significant ST segment or T-wave changes. A transthoracic echocardiogram was performed, and a parasitic long-axis image on the left demonstrates prolapse of the posterior leaflet and a severely dilated left atrium. On the right, you'll see an apical four-chamber view demonstrating the posterior leaflet prolapse with normal biventricular size and function. On color Doppler interrogation of a mitral valve, what you'll appreciate with the large stream of color flowing across the atria is a large eccentric wraparound regurgitant jet suggestive of significant mitral regurgitation. To better quantify the severity of mitral regurgitation, we use qualitative and quantitative methods to assess severity and this was severe mitral regurgitation across the board with a high vena contractor, effective regurgitant orifice area, and significant regurgitant volumes and fraction. Her palmary artery systolic pressure, which is the measure of her right-sided pressures, was also elevated and was averaged out to at least 60 millimeters of mercury plus her right atrial pressure. This is in keeping with severely elevated right heart pressure and is an additional sign of severe mitral regurgitation and portends a poor prognosis with regards to severe mitral regurgitation. 
A 3D reconstruction on transthoracic echocardiogram actually demonstrated the clear pathology in the situation, which was a flail P2 segment, in addition to her primary degenerative prolapse. Cardiac catheterization was also performed as part of her workup, and it demonstrated a 30% luminal stenosis in the mid-segment of her left anterior descending artery, with no significant stenosis in her circumflex system or her right coronary artery systems. So in summary, this is a 72-year-old female with severe degenerative mitral regurgitation, preserved biventricular function, elevated pulmonary pressures, and NYHA class 2 to 3 symptoms. She was referred to the Cleveland Clinic for formal evaluation by the structural heart team, where a multidisciplinary-based approach to the assessment of suitability for surgical mitral valve repair versus percutaneous mitral valve repair was then undertaken. Thank you very much. Dr. Griffin, thanks so much for the uh, very kind introduction. Alan, thanks so much for the opportunity uh, to have this lecture series. So what I'd like to do is go through a sort of a case-based atlas of percutaneous mitral therapies over the next few minutes, talking about edge-to-edge -edge leaflet repair, uh, percutaneous annuloplasty and native valve replacement, as well as the replacement of degenerated surgical valves and treatment of paravalvular regurgitation, just really to understand what is a portfolio of therapies that we can provide to patients uh, with catheter-based treatments. So when we look at edge-to-edge -edge repair, certainly the mitral clip is something we have done for a long time, but I'd like to demonstrate how in the contemporary era, it is frankly better. This is a 77-year-old with a prior mechanical valve replacement. And you can see here in the 3D multiplanar reconstruction that Rhonda pointed to earlier, this flail uh, in the 3D <coughs> imaging of the anterior leaflet uh, and sort of this retracted posterior leaflet, which is much more nicely seen in the uh, long axis imaging plane here. Now, this is, this is important not only for the diagnostic portion, but also the therapeutic portion of this patient's care. You can see here in this initial uh, grasp of the mitral valve, uh, if you look very closely, what you see is we've, been, we've come just a bit medially to this posterior leaflet that's retracted. Now, as a result, we have, I think, a good result of the mitral clip, but there is some residual leak left here in that area where the posterior leaflet hasn't been grabbed. I'll be quite honest, a few years ago, we would have left this as an excellent mitral clip result because we wouldn't have seen what we couldn't see. But in the current era, we have a much more granular understanding of what we're doing. And also with this uh, current generation of the clip that I'll point out, what we can do is simply clockwise the clip a little bit, really let go of the anterior leaflet, grasp only the posterior leaflet. We don't have to grasp both of them together. Get that retracted posterior leaflet there, swing back around, get the anterior leaflet, and what you see now is really no residual mitral valve regurgitation and a much more surgical-like result, as Dan and uh, Dr. Gilanov have pointed out. Uh, and so really, this is in large part due to the contemporary advances of the mitral clip. Instead of just the one clip that we had previously, we now have four different ones that are wider and longer. We can also grasp the leaflets independently, which is a new technology, as I showed to you in this case. And again, just as importantly, uh, the uh, imaging that we have now in the operating room is really far better than what we had a few years ago and allows us to do these cases and ones that are frankly more complex. The contemporary clip results are far better than what we had seen in the earlier trials. What this shows you is that this early generation clip in this new series was used less than 20% of the time in both primary and secondary MR cases. And what you see is that out at one month, uh, more than 93% uh, of patients have one plus or less MR with a very low uh, degree of risk in what are otherwise considered patients at high or extreme risk for cardiac surgery. 
Moving on to other potential therapies, this is a 67-year-old gentleman with significant LV dysfunction, and you can see on the 3D MPR, very wide uh, area of leaking across the coaptation here, also seen in the commissural view up to the right. Uh, we know in COAPT that the MitraClip does provide a benefit in functional MR patients, and so we should treat these patients both with regard to hospitalizations for heart failure on the left and mortality on the right. However, we also know that patients treated with a MitraClip who are left with the residual MR don't do as well in red and blue as those patients who did well in green. So what are other therapies that we have? This is the Carillon device. Uh, this is a band, as you see here. Uh, this is a coronary sinus venogram. And what we do is we place this band in the coronary sinus and then cinch the band. And what you can see is this is the coronary sinus that we started with, cinches the coronary sinus, and with that, the mitral valve annulus. With that, you can see this patient's MR went from very significant to the follow-up MR, really trivial kind of regurgitation. This device has been trialed in a few relatively small European trials, these three that you see here, demonstrating a reduction in regurgitant volume that's uh, durable out to one year compared to those patients uh, at one year who are not treated. Also reductions in LV volume out at one year compared to those patients who weren't treated. Now, importantly, uh, Dr. Samir Kapadia, who's our head of cardiology, is the uh, global PI of this Empower trial of the Carillon device uh, in 300 patients, uh, randomized 150 to treatment and 150 to control. Uh, the primary endpoint is a broad one, including mortality. But what I would also point out is the option in these patients for an alternative therapy if the Carillon is inadequate to reduce the mitral regurgitation to a clinically acceptable level. These patients can then be treated with a combination therapy with a mitral clip or move on to a mitral valve surgery. Now, importantly, what we have found over time with the Carillon device is that coronary sinus annuloplasty actually influences LV remodeling and reduces LV chamber size. This is in mild to moderate FMR patients as well as large ventricle patients. And so one very unique aspect of this Empower trial, which was actually just finalized with the FDA this past week, was that this trial is going to focus on LV dilation for inclusion, not simply mitral valve regurgitation. So we will be enrolling patients with at least mild FMR, but only grade one or larger, but specifically those patients with a dilated ventricle. And so we're hoping that we'll be able to treat patients at an earlier stage of their ventricular disease, hopefully not progressing to that significant uh, MR and worsening uh, LV mechanics and dilation. Moving on then briefly to transcatheter mitral valve replacement. This is a patient with a very wide functional MR. You can see the entire mitral valve does not co-apt. It would be very hard for us to treat this adequately uh, in a percutaneous strategy. And so this is a patient that we brought for a transapically delivered tendine mitral valve replacement prosthetic. You can see here the sheath going into the ventricular apex. Here's the valve in place on the right inside of its frame. And you can see here once the valve is in place, really no residual mitral valve regurgitation. Uh, more importantly, uh, for patients uh, who have really no options, who are elderly with mitral valve stenosis, there's a subgroup analysis in this trial to treat patients that look like this with severe uh, mitral valve stenosis, and again, placing a tendine into place, uh, into position, I should say. 
Uh, importantly, the TMVR or catheter mitral valve replacement uh, landscape is quite broad. We uh, do use a number of these different prosthetics as part of different clinical trials. Uh, and what you can see here is that the transapically delivered valves have the greatest uh, amount of patients treated and data. The transfemorally delivered devices are, sim are uh, simply a bit more infant uh, in their iterations, but procedural success has been quite high as far as treating the mitral valve regurgitation. Mortality in these groups is somewhat high at 30 days, really by function of the fact that these are patients enrolled who have no other options and are quite highly comorbid. Um, just briefly moving on, uh, this is a 76-year-old with a degenerated surgical valve. Uh, I think importantly, the percutaneous therapies uh, are an important adjunct uh, in the portfolio of treatments we have as interventionalists, cardiac surgeons, and cardiologists. This is a patient with a degenerated surgical valve with severe stenosis at this point. And oftentimes what we do for these patients uh, to try to avoid a redo mitral valve surgery, which is often complex with difficult recovery in these elderly patients, is to bring them for a catheter valve replacement, which is usually performed under conscious sedation with patients leaving the same evening. You can see here the surgical valve in place, the transcatheter valve being positioned uh, from the femoral vein. Again, this is under conscious sedation. The valve is expanded into place and the patient leaves the same evening. Concluding, this is another uh, issue that can happen over time with degeneration of surgical valves. A paravalvular regurgitation, uh, as you see here, uh, the surgical valve in place, posterior medially, the significant regurgitation outside the valve frame, posterior laterally here, the same thing. What we do is uh, implant these plugs here, usually the vascular plugs, by placing a two to three millimeter catheter uh, from the femoral vein into that space. And once the plugs are in place, as you can see here, we have in the posterior medial leak, we've turned to the posterior lateral position, placed more plugs with trivial residual regurgitation. So to conclude, uh, the mitral clip is an excellent therapy for high surgical risk patients with degenerative mitral regurgitation. The contemporary clip is a major advance with quite encouraging results. Functional mitral regurgitation therapy is often more complex than degenerative MR, and while edge-to-edge -edge repair can be very effective for patients with focal disease, more diffuse FMR may be better suited to annular therapy or catheter-based mitral valve replacement. The subgroup registries of TMVR for native mitral stenosis patients are underway and are so far promising. Valve and valve therapy is effective and safe for degenerated surgical valves, and paravalvular regurgitation as well is uh, well-suited to percutaneous therapy, especially for patients whose annulus may be unsuitable for a redo cardiac surgery. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.